week on Inside Motorsport, we catch up with drive.com.au's Dave McCowan. I hope you'll stay with us. McCowan joins us on the line, and Dave, it's been quite a hectic week for yourself. Motoring journalists always seem to have that sort of luxurious life of travelling around the world, driving exotic cars. How far from the truth is that romantic view of what you do? Not at all, actually. It, it's a job I really can't complain much about. The last, uh, the last month or so has involved going to Spa to test out the new Nissan GTR, going to the Nürburgring to visit the, the 24-hour race there and report on that and also to um, to go to a racing school and learn how to attack the world's greatest circuit and also to spend a bit of time at the 24 Hours of Le Mans, one of the world's greatest races. It's a brilliant job. I uh, really can't say too much about it that's negative other than you better be prepared to work some seriously long hours and you can't be afraid of jet lag because a lot of the time we go over to Europe for one day and spend you know two days flying either side of it. So, yeah, pack your sleeping bills. It's not a job that you can just luck into. These jobs don't come around very often. What was the process you went through to get into a position where you could become a motoring rider? It was a very long process, and, yes, certainly it wasn't an accident, something I knew I wanted to do for quite a long time. I probably started when I was about 16. I was following a team that was about to tackle the Bathurst 24-hour back in the day and got to know the uh, the local motoring rider for my, my local paper, the Newcastle Herald, a guy named Brent Davison. Yeah, Brent took me under his wing and let me write a few things here and there about, uh, about motorsport. That sort of gave me a few bylines and helped get me into university at Charleston University at Bathurst. While I was there, I wrote a few articles, a few dozen articles for Crash.net, a website that was building a bit of an Australian presence with motorsport. And then I was taken under the wing of a guy named Andrew Clark, business partner Scott Wensley, established uh, established lads within the Supercar Media Circus, who took me around to a lot of a lot of tracks, different races, Bathurst and whatnot, and showed me the ropes. And from there, I left uh, left the V8 Supercar world to do a cadetship with Fairfax Media. Spent five years doing crime and court reporting and uh, a bit of politics and all sorts of stuff like that. Not anything automotive related, really while training my trade as a journalist that tackle the motoring industry. So yeah, there are a lot of people who'd like to do this job. First and foremost, you have to be a journalist. And to work for to work for an organisation like Fairfax or News Limited or even Power uh, with Wheels Magazine, that sort of thing, should really have established yourself as a journalist and as a writer before wanting to work as a motoring writer. It's kind of... Uh, I don't want to over-egg the pudding too much, but it's a little bit like doing your med degree before specialising in something else, you know. You can't be a surgeon until you've done done your juice, so to speak. And most people sort of, yeah, work for years as a journalist before uh, going into one of the world's best fields. You've mentioned about the trips you've just had. Now, normally a motorsport journalist would be going to places and it would be paid for by the manufacturer of the car or, or some interested party that has decided they want to have you there. How do you balance up that 
um, opportunity with what you need to do, is, which is being impartial and, and giving an honest appraisal of what you're seeing and what you're doing. It's, it's fairly easy, actually, because without wanting to sound too glib, just about every car company does this sort of thing. So, you know, my last, my last couple of trips have been with Audi, Nissan, and Mercedes-Benz, and I've been, a, I've been a guest of many others traveling overseas and domestically as well. The, the travel isn't seen as a luxury. I mean, it's certainly it's a novelty the first couple of times you do it, but really you're going over there to get access to people, to events and to cars. And if, you know, there's no value in motoring journalism if it isn't honest, if it isn't, if it isn't a fair critique, if everything that we wrote was an absolute puff piece, was just glowingly positive about every car that we drove and everyone that we met, then there would be no value editorially in what we're doing. And if there's no value in what we're doing editorially, then there are fewer eyeballs looking at it. The car companies lose a fair bit of exposure. So, yeah, it, it goes it goes both ways. And most um, most professionals within the industry from the from the PR side and the, the automotive side are mature enough to realise that not everything is going to go their way. And certainly we do write some pretty tough stories. You know, the Volkswagen scandal last year with the Dieselgate was absolutely massive. And yeah, I, I was a guest of Volkswagen in Germany this year where, you know, they flew me, flew me over to Europe and put me up in a nice hotel to drive a nice car. And we got there and we absolutely grilled them about Dieselgate for, you know, for a long time and demanding answers for why, you know, why customers in America are getting thousands of dollars in cashback offers and things like that while customers in Australia are missing out. So, yeah, certainly, I really don't feel like there's much of a, a conflict. It can look a bit interesting from the outside, but once once you're in here, you kind of realise that um, the things like the travel and, the, and getting access to cars is just a, a means to do your job. Mm. The manufacturing industry in Australia is in a in a very interesting position. It's it's ending. How do you report the end of an industry and then say, but everything's all right, you're still going to have cars to drive? Yeah, the messaging around that has been a bit tricky. I mean, Ford and Holden, Holden particularly, Holden after it announced that it was going to stop building cars in, uh, in Elizabeth in South Australia, went on to do a campaign that basically said, we're still here, and had they wheeled out guys like Craig Lounge and Garth Panda to go on camera and do this, this uh, video campaign for the internet saying that yes while we're, we're going to stop building Commodores uh, we're still still the same old Holden still still going to sell you plenty of cars and bring you some of the best cars that we can find from uh, Europe, Asia and the United States. Reporting on that will be interesting and I know there's a degree of reluctance from the car companies. It doesn't really fit their messaging to make a big song and dance about the end of the Australian car industry because Ford and Toyota and Holden will be here and still be selling a lot of cars after after they stop building them locally. But it's yeah, it's going to be a tricky thing to balance. We're already uh, we've been planning a few things. Um, we're in discussions with with those brands at the moment about how we can cover this and how we can do it justice because there's a huge legacy, cultural legacy that a brand like Ford or Holden has in Australia that needs to be acknowledged. Um, by the same token, we need to look to the future too. And it's people's lives that are, you know, potentially out of the job and looking at no industry for their skill sets to re-employ them. That is a really difficult question. I know how hard the car companies are working to try and find a way to re-employ these people, not necessarily within the car industry, but to, to help retrain them. But that is that is really tricky. Um 
you know, as part of part of this job, I've gone to factories in places like Thailand where they build the the Ford Ranger, the Toyota Hilux, the um, Isuzu D-Max, Mazda BT50. These sort of utes that are massively popular in Australia, and they sell far more of those than um, than the you know the Ford Falcon, Toyota Camry, Holden Commodore sedans each year. That's what people. But the guys that hammer those together over in Thailand are being paid absolute cents in the dollar compared to what guys are earning in Australia. And that's why the industry is moving overseas. It's just untenable to to pay someone a, a decent, livable wage in Australia when you can pay someone less than a fifth of that um, overseas. And honestly, I don't, I don't know what the guys are going to do. It's going to be really tricky. I mean, for some people that are at the twilight of their career, you know, if they've been with Holden or, or Ford or Toyota for, for 20, 30, 40 years, they're likely to get a fairly decent payout and probably retire. But for, for guys that are maybe in their 20s or 30s, yeah, they'll definitely have to retrain. And if you are, you know, if your specialty is assembling bodywork or, you know, screwing together interiors for new cars and things like that, it's, it's a bit hard to expect that you might retrain as a, you know, a web developer to work in e-commerce or something like that, isn't it? We'll hear more from Dave McCowan next week on Inside Motorsport. Until then, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.